Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning as we gather to Jesus, as we gather to hear your word. Lord, we believe that you're a speaking God. You speak to your people through the preaching of your word. God, we ask you to do that this morning. We ask you to come in our midst, come to your temple, Jesus. And let your spirit blow through, even as we were singing, Lord. Blow through me, blow through every one of the hearers, Lord. Lord, we require you to do your work here. We need you, Lord. We are so dependent on you, on your presence, Lord. We don't want to do anything here in our own strength. We look to you, Jesus. We look to you, Holy Spirit. We ask you, please, Lord, come and minister truth and change and life and comfort and direction to each of our hearts here this morning. We honor you, Jesus. We honor you as supreme over your church. We honor you, Jesus, as the one through whom we can come this morning, the one in whose name we can preach and hear and believe for your voice to speak. It's because of you, Jesus. Because of what you've done. Please be with us this morning, Lord. Amen. I'm not quite sure what I want to preach on this morning. <laughs> sounds dangerous. Um, no, I, I, I know, but I don't quite know how to describe it. Um, it's either I want to speak on prayer... And that's really the heart of what I do want to speak on this morning, is prayer. Um, or I want to speak on the reasons why we must pray. So inability. Inability of a preacher, inability of a hearer in a congregation. But not just our inability here this morning, but our inability in our lives. Your inability as... As a husband or a wife or as a father or mother, as a friend, as a witness, as an employee, as a, as a leader of a business, our, our complete inability. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And, and, and that's directly related to prayer, you see. So do I want to preach on that? Yes. Um, and then if I get time, I, I want to narrow down this conversation on prayer and inability to responsibility for us as church members to pray for our leaders. And actually, as I was leading up to this morning, that was the primary goal. In my mind, I wanted to come and speak to you about the prayer requests of the Apostle Paul. It's a fascinating study if you do it, to go through all of his epistles... And you look for his personal prayer requests. And there's eight of them in the New Testament. And they fall into basically one of two categories. Prayers that he requests people to make for him for deliverance. For rescuing from enemies. And then secondly, prayers that he, he asks people to pray for him for his 
for his preaching, for the success of his ministry. So deliverance from enemies and gospel success. Those are his two main prayer requests. Now, I don't know if we're going to get there this morning, but let's start the journey. Um, Liberal Christians, if you don't know what a liberal Christian is, it's a Christian who is not a Christian. (laughs) Someone who pretends they're a Christian. And they like to write and speak as if they're very clever and they're very modern and they're very cutting edge. And there was a liberal sweep through from the 1950s through the evangelical churches that led to the hardening and deadening of many of the mainline denominations where many of the ministers in those denominations were not even born again. Liberal Christianity. Well, liberal scholars have long concluded on theological grounds that it is not possible for God to answer prayer. I'll read you just one statement in that regard. This is by a guy called Dr. Michael Austin. The institution which gave this man his PhD should be scratched from the list of educational institutions. Anyhow, Dr. Michael Austin said this, To require of me that I pray for someone so that I may by that act somehow effect a miracle by persuading God to act in a way in which he had not intended to act and would not have acted had I not prayed is not a concept of prayer that I find worthy of the God in whom I believe. So to believe that God requires me to pray for someone so that God will do something in their life. It's not a concept he finds worthy of his God. And I can tell you why that is so. Because his God is not the God of the Bible. Instead, uh, Dr. Austin, he promotes a form of prayer that he describes as an unspoken, inarticulate, you can't even put it into words, An unspoken, inarticulate, mystical communion with God. That's what what prayer is to him. Just contemplating your navel in the presence of some being. Well, um, you don't have to look very far in the New Testament to see that that is not the Bible's view of prayer. That's not what Paul thought about prayer. That's not what... Uh, The other apostles thought about prayer. It's it's not what Jesus thought about prayer. Paul not only believed in the power and efficacy of prayer. Efficacy is a good word to describe prayer in biblical language. Because efficacy means that it achieves what it sets out to achieve. It produces results. The efficacy of prayer... Paul not only believed in in that, but as we will see, he didn't relegate prayer to some nebulous, undefined, unspoken and inarticulate communion with God. Paul deliberately requested specific prayer requests for certain clearly defined needs that he wanted people to pray for him. And yet, this is the apostle that believed in the complete and utter sovereignty of God. 
And yet he believed in the power of prayer. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, had uh, the biggest church in the world in the 19th century. He said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. So, in approaching this, this subject of, of, of why we should pray, um, I, was, I was alerted this week to the importance of a, of a deeply philosophical question. I wasn't going to cover this, but in a conversation that I had this week with someone, uh, one of our church members, he, he asked me to speak on this. And he, being plugged into a number of people in the church, said, this is something that members of church are not struggling with. We are a church that believes in the doctrines of the Reformation. And one of those doctrines, as I will be explaining in our in our uh, Bible college course, is that God is completely sovereign. There is nothing that takes place that does not take place because of a decree of God. He has decreed all things that take place. Completely and utterly sovereign over every detail of human history. Now, if that is true, now I'm not here this morning to defend the sovereignty of God. If you want an argument with that, if you still need to wrestle with that in your life, then you need to go on a longer journey. Come to the Bible College Court. I'm not here to defend His sovereignty. But if it is true that God is entirely sovereign over all things, then a very important question arises, and it's a fair question. Why should we pray? What effect will prayer have? If God's already decided everything He's going to do, why should we pray? Understanding how powerful prayer is, is only possible... If one can grasp the fact that God is responsible for space and time. Now, this is it's, 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 it's quite deep and, and, and philosophical, but God created space. What is space? Space is, is extension. Space was, was God's idea. There was no such thing as space before God made it. And God is responsible for time. He created time. Time is his creature. And he's not bound by it. What is time? Time is, 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 is the way we measure the movement of bodies in space. Now, if you understand that space and time are God's idea... Why is that so significant? Because it indicates to us that God, for some reason, has chosen to use means to achieve His ends. God has certain ends that He is going to achieve. That's why He can tell us already in His Word what will happen at the end of the age. He is in total control. But he doesn't just achieve his ends by clicking his fingers, so to speak, and just miraculously doing it outside of space and time. The very existence of space and time mean that God likes using means. Otherwise, he wouldn't have created space and time. Space and time introduce the concept of means, of secondary causes. And that's an incredibly important realization. Another way of saying 
That is to say this. God is the primary cause of all things. But he has chosen by and large to use secondary causes to achieve those things. He uses instruments to achieve his work. Why does he do that? I can't tell you that. Of course I can't. I'm not God. That's God's prerogative. He has chosen to use other things to achieve his ends. He involves means. And because God is, not God, the Christian God, because the Christian God is in his very nature relational. He is a trinity. His very nature is relationship and and fellowship. Because he is that by nature, the primary means that God delights to use is other persons to achieve his ends. God loves involving you in what he does. That's the bottom line. He wants to involve you. And and the mystery of it all is he, he doesn't want to involve you like a robot. He wants to involve you in a way in which somehow, even within his sovereignty, you make completely free decisions. You are responsible for what you do. You can make choices that are genuine. You can. You say, how does the genuineness of human choice and will and heart and and the responsibility that we have And things we will be held responsible for. How does that all work together with the complete sovereignty of God? Well, I can't tell you that. All I can tell you is that's what the Bible teaches. But I can tell you this. God can do it. You say, how can a sovereign God use people meaningfully, truly? Well, He can do it because He's God. That's all I can tell you. So what are the means that that God uses? He uses people, but He doesn't just use people in any way that we want. We don't get to decide how God uses us. He's revealed to us how He will use us in the outworking of His great plan, which is a good plan. It's a wise plan. And one of the, the ways which He's told us that he will use us. And, and that, let's just mark this. It's, it's fair, isn't it? That God gets to tell us how he will use us. Isn't that fair? I mean, he made us. He gets to tell us how he's going to use us. And one of the ways that he's told us he will use us is through prayer. Now that explains the opening quote in John Piper's chapter on prayer. This is a Fantastic book. It's called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. It's a book addressed to ministers. And he has an amazingly inspiring chapter on prayer. And I just want to read to you his opening statements in this chapter. And hopefully this will make some kind of sense to you. It'll start making sense as I read you here some of his language. He says this, Prayer is the coupling of primary and secondary causes. It is the splicing of our limp wire to the lightning bolt of heaven. 
How astonishing it is that God wills to do His work through people. It is doubly astonishing that He ordains to fulfill His plans by being asked to do so. God loves to bless His people, but even more, He loves to do it in answer to prayer. And then he gives a number of examples from Scripture. One example he gives is God knew that his purpose was to increase the men of Israel in the Old Testament. But he says, this is in the book of Ezekiel, This I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock. He wills to convey his blessings through the coupling of prayer. God uses prayer to achieve his sovereign ends. Yes, he does. God genuinely responds to prayer. Prayer is not a farce. It's not some ritual that we go through. It's not some hoop that we jump through so that God won't strike us dead or something. And and it's not just a, a PR exercise. It's not the marketing campaign of heaven that, 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 that shows the world, look, I, you know, my people are praying to me, but actually I'm doing what I want to do. No, that's not what the Bible describes. God genuinely responds to prayer. He answers prayer, Dr. Michael Austin. It's not like a, a mother threatening her toddler If you don't say please, I'm not going to give you supper. Because if the child doesn't say please, (laughs) I can guarantee you the mother's still giving that child supper. It's not an idle threat. James clearly says to us, you do not have because you do not ask. Jesus says, ask therefore so that your joy may be full. And although at the end of time, when everything is revealed, when this whole plan of how God outworked history, when it's all made known to us in the end, we will see that actually it was the Spirit of God Himself working in Christians in order to bring out the prayers that we pray. So that's a bit of the answer as to how sovereignty works with responsibility. The Holy Spirit helps us. He puts prayers in our mouths that God then answers. Although that is true, there is still a genuine freedom, a genuine responsibility, and an action of the will on the part of the person praying. And here's what I I want to get to this morning. If any Christian wants to be part of the work of God in history, particularly in the church, particularly us as Church on Main members, if we want to play our part in what God is going to do in our generation, we must be praying. If you in your own life want to labor in the vineyard of God, so to speak, If you want to see God's power, if you want to bear much fruit in your life as a father, as a mother, as a husband or wife, as a friend, as a witness, as a business person, in any sphere of your life, if you want to bear fruit, you must be praying for that thing. 
Without me, you can do nothing. Do you really believe that? If you do, you'll be praying. Because God answers prayer. Okay. So that, that, that's my, I had three questions in my mind I was trying to answer this, this morning. First one was, if God is sovereign, why pray? Hopefully I've, I've made a start for you. Even if it's still mysterious and foggy, it's okay. This is difficult. It is. Second question, how, how must we pray? What must we pray? How and what must we pray? Well... There's two things that I want to cover under this heading. Number one, we must pray in Jesus' name. And secondly, we must pray according to God's will. And I want to just deal with those two individually now. We must pray in Jesus' name. John chapter 14, verse 14. If you ask, says Jesus, anything in my name, I will do it. When we pray in Jesus' name, He will answer. Now, what does that mean? Well, to pray in Jesus' name does not necessarily mean that at the end of your prayer, you say the words, in Jesus' name. Because that's very often how we treat that verse. We just, we just stick on that phrase at the end of our prayer. But that's not what this is talking about. You don't have to say, in Jesus' name, at the end of every prayer. Or if you get bored, sometimes you go, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it's not necessary. What it means, although it's, it's not wrong to say it, but what this means primarily is that you pray with faith in your heart and trust in your heart that it is only through Jesus Christ that you can come to God the Father in prayer. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. To come with faith that you may approach the throne of grace boldly because of the blood of Jesus that was shed to forgive you of your sins. If you come to God not in your own righteousness, but with a humble faith that I am clean because Jesus Christ went to the cross for me. And He rose again that I might have life in His name. I believe that and that it's in His name. It's under His covering. It's under the shadow of Jesus' wings that I come to you now, God the Father, to ask you the things I want. Not in my own righteousness. I am filthy, but I come free and clean in Jesus. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Do you have that faith when you pray? There may be some of you here this morning that still do not know that you have been forgiven of your sin. That you have been washed clean by a great and all-sufficient Savior who shed His blood for you. Have you come to Christ? Have you said, Lord, I receive you as my Savior and been washed clean? Has that happened to you yet? Well, if it has not, that can happen to you right now as you sit in your seat. You can cry out to God in your heart. Oh God, I know I'm unclean, but I want to be forgiven. And He says, I've made a way. I offer it to you as a gift. 
You say yes to Jesus, my son, and I'll forgive you. You can do that right now. We must pray in Jesus' name. Secondly, we must pray according to God's will. I want to read to you from 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence, says John, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, did you get that? If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. We know He hears us. If we're praying according to His will. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of Him. You must pray according to the will of God. Now that presents a problem. Because... In the book of Romans, Paul says this. He says, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. And thank God for that. That's the answer to the problem he's about to present. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Why do we need help? For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. This is a problem, isn't it? The Bible says, if you want your prayers answered, you've got to pray according to God's will. But the Bible also says, you don't know what to pray for. So what's the solution here? The solution is that the Holy Spirit has brought us the mind of Christ. Where? In a book called the Bible. You've got to read the introduction to the Gideon's Bible. And the most wonderful introduction, the very first sentence in the introduction to the Gideon's Bible is this. The Bible contains the mind of God. This book here will tell you what the will of God is. And if you pray what this book tells you to pray, what this book invites you to pray, God will answer you. Without the mind of Christ communicated by the Spirit, we don't know how to pray. But we have the mind of Christ in Scripture. And so D.A. Carson, he's a theologian, good guy. D.A. Carson is right when he, he said this. I find it disturbing, or I find disturbing the enthusiastic praying in some circles that overflows with emotional release, but is utterly uncontrolled by any thoughtful reflection on the scripture. Wild, emotional, uncontrolled prayer that's not directed by scripture. So, how do we do this? I want to recommend a discipline for you. As you are reading through the Bible, and I, I do recommend that you read from Genesis to Revelation over and over and over and over again. If you want to know the mind of God, you need this book to become part of the very fabric of your worldview. Okay, if you are reading from Genesis to Revelation over and over, and you can't do that if you read one verse a day, okay, that'll take you 42 years. I've done the math. If you are reading through the scriptures, you are going to commonly, if you're looking for them, you're going to commonly find prayers in scripture. The prayers of scripture. 
You will, you will find Daniel, for example, crying out to God for the nation of Israel. We can pray that prayer for the church. And then particularly as you get into the New Testament, you're going to find many prayers that Paul prays for the churches he's writing to you. I pray for you, Paul says, that God would fill you with the knowledge of His will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of Him, that you may be fully pleasing to Him, that you may be fruitful in every good work, and that you may increase in the knowledge of Him, being strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering, with joy and thanks to Him, because He's made you a partaker of the, of the inheritance of the saints and the light. Why do I know that? Because I've prayed that a thousand times for my family. A thousand times, literally, more. As you're going through Scripture, you're going to come across prayer requests of uh, prayer that Paul prays for the churches. And then, I don't know if we're going to get there this morning, but we also find prayer requests that Paul requests from the churches for himself. And, and you can make those prayers your own. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. When you pray... The Word of God. You pray the will of God. Do it. My wife will tell you about a tatty piece of paper stapled together. It's on my, in my office. And, and I use that for my quiet time. It's filled with the prayers of Scripture. As I've gone from Genesis to Revelation, I've, I, and I've noticed a prayer, a prayer of, of thanksgiving, a prayer of praise. Blessed be your glorious name. And on the, the psalmist goes, that's in my prayer, in my little praise section of my quiet time. And then intercession for others, for my family, for my wife, for my marriage, for my children. There are prayers from scripture that I pray over my family, prayers for protection. I've prayed Psalm 91 over a thousand times for my family. And I can tell you this, I believe my family has been as safe as it has been because of the prayers that I've prayed and my wife has prayed for our children. Well, how can you say that? Because I believe God answers prayer. That's how I can say that. As you go through the Bible, you see a prayer that you like. Take it. Put it in a little prayer journal. I don't care how you can. You could do it on your phone. Do it, just somewhere where it will remind you in the mornings. And begin to pray the scriptures. And pretty soon you'll memorize those scriptures. It's one of the byproducts of doing this. Is you memorize a lot of scripture. You begin to think in scriptural categories. The other day we were in a home group and there's two members of our home group that are longing to go on the mission field to Algeria, feel called. And they have made great progress, the doors are open, they are going to, I want to say Morocco, it's not Morocco, it's Kurbis here this morning. One of the other North African countries where they go for a season of training and then they'll move into Algeria after that. But they hit an immovable roadblock with their visas. And this Muslim country is resisting. They're shutting down all of the visas that normally get applied for by missionaries to work as language teachers, English teachers. They're shutting all of that down. So this is after months of frustration. And Kurbis just cried out to us in a home group the other night. He said, I just, we cannot move forward with this. So Jason and myself and Craig Bestel and a couple of other lads, we got around Kurbis. 
And what did we do? We quoted scripture. We said, Lord, you said we are to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. For the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord, here is a man who's put up his hand. He said, here am I, send me. God, we are praying that you release these visas. The next day, he got granted his visa. God answers prayer. He does. Are you praying? Are you praying heartfelt, fervent prayers? Can I ask you men here this morning who have children, do your children have the voice of their father echoing in their ears as they hear him crying out to God in his study? When your kids are older, will they remember? Will they tell the story? I remember getting up in the mornings and my dad was there calling on God for us. If you're a father, you know why I'm crying now. Because we feel so helpless to raise godly children. We need God. How many kids have been saved because of a praying mother? How many? Moms, are you praying for your children? And for those of you children in the audience, there are a couple of you. You're not too young to call on God. He hears you when you pray. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Let them come. If you believe that Jesus loves you, you can pray and he'll hear you. I'm going to stop there. There are some prayer requests that Paul makes for himself and I. I don't want to not do this justice. Maybe we can do another sermon sometime on that. The prayer requests of the Apostle Paul. We have a great responsibility to be praying for Tomo, for Mark, for Nick, for Grant, for the elders of this church and for the other leaders. It's not a nice to have. God requires us to be praying for our leaders. And there's specific areas we can do that. Maybe we can cover that another time.